Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's Tour Catch-Up. Iga and Coco upset in Dubai. Alcaraz injury concerns grow in Rio. And Jasmine Paolini wins the biggest title of her career. Kim, Chris, today is the 26th of February and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. The Middle Eastern Swing is over for the WTA Tour. The Golden Swing is coming to an end for the ATP Tour and we are looking forward to the Sunshine Double in the United States. We are indeed. uh, Lots of swings and going on to a double now, it seems. Is it the Sunshine Swing? Sunshine Swing? Sunshine Double Swing? I mean, Sunshine Swing also sounds like a cocktail. I always think the Sunshine Double does. Uh, and I think it just it evokes fruity, light, playful, sunny vibes, which is always a good thing. A Sunshine Treble sounds a little bit too much, right? That's a strong drink. Yeah, three shots of... Oh, tequila, tequila sunrise maybe something like that it could be mm. i'll leave the shots to you guys i know joel i mean i don't know what's in a woo woo but uh, it's gotta be something. You know, I'm, I'm a hugo girl as you know <laughs> um but yeah we do have that to look forward to but we've got plenty to catch up on uh before we go over to the states for the start of the sunshine double swing um what's been happening in in the world the last week uh i think there's been quite a few exciting fun things uh before we get into the actual results hasn't there yeah i've got kim and chris the instagram photo that broke social media it is of course novak Djokovic and rafael nadal spontaneously on a plane together miraculously i don't know i don't know how this happens but they booked themselves on the same flight and uh, they took a selfie together. 1.1 million likes later, um, it has had the tennis world up in arms. Has that got more likes than that that Bradley Cooper selfie from the Oscars? It's a uh, lot of likes, isn't it? From a few years ago. <laughs> or is it less popular than that? But yeah, I mean, is it a private jet or is it a, a It's know, not a jet. Airline? That's what surprised me. We did have a phase where we were very into... Uh, the airline sort of activity of players and <laughs> what their flights were. And this is what's baffling about <laughs> this. Who would have thought that they wouldn't be in a private jet? Or well, between them, they could have a private jet, surely. Is it an environmental thing, maybe? Oh, it could or... be. I do love how in the selfie, there, there is a guy in the background just sort of minding his own business with with headphones on, probably <laughs> just sort of, just unassumingly watching a film or some TV and... He's now in this selfie that uh, has kind of exploded on the internet. I hope he's a, not a tennis fan because that would be extra funny because I saw some captions that said like 43 Grand Slams between these three on the flight. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> it's like zero twenty twenty three. 
24th. I bet his friends and family are loving it. If they've if they've seen it, if they're one of the the 1.1 million people. Um, I mean, I the, the other player that has a lot of Grand Slams, you know, that's not in that photo uh, is Roger Federer, and he's out in Thailand at the moment. So he's he's certainly not on a plane with with uh, Novak and Rafa. He's out in Thailand. Uh, I assume he's just on holiday because he's been posting videos and photos of himself on a on a boat it's not part two of that trevor noah travel documentary is it oh well the Swiss i don't tourist know board be. for thailand <laughs> <laughs> i can see it now what i loved though um is we talked about this a few episodes ago but federer put up uh the first kind of you know reel of uh, images and videos and he had ellie goulding still falling for you as his music of choice so clearly he is a massive ellie goulding fan that must be why she was the one chosen for his retirement at the Labour Cup. We were very confused at the time. I think we tried to figure out what song it was. And I never thought that we'd be seeing sort of Roger Federer in his sort of um, pointed uh, straw hat with the caption floating through Thailand <laughs> set to the sounds of Ellie Goulding still falling from you from the Bridget <laughs> Jones soundtrack. I have been on an Ellie Goulding binge over the last week or so, so I can totally see why he wants a bit more of uh, Ellie Goulding's music uh, in his life. Banger after banger after banger. Maybe for Tennis Weekly, we should try using that for our reels. Mm. You know, if you give us a suggestion. Maybe. But keep it coming, because I, I really like Roger Federer's holiday snapshots on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm loving them myself. I, I, have to I would that. arguably say, I mean, given the weather in Thailand, it looks like from the photos, maybe. I mean, if I was there, the Ellie Goulding song I would have chosen would have been Burn. Mm. Has he got a sun cream or is he an after sun kind of guy? Who knows? I'd hope both because, you know, skincare. Yes, I'm sure he's got only the best <laughs> for I'm sure. Looking so young, yeah. Um, I'm sure he's got top of the range Swiss skincare. Oh, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Swiss skincare. Say that many times quickly. Uh, but Joel, um, no, Chris, what's been your kind of fun, playful thing from the last week? Well, going from a play with slightly less Grand Slams, which I think is a bit unfortunate, but um, for... Daniel Medvedev, he's actually hired someone else to his camp. And I just thought I saw this wonderful thing which said that he's now hired um, Gilles Simon, who does not have a job title. Uh, He's keeping his same coach uh, as his main coach, but he will be traveling less. So there's a new member to the camp and it is former player, former French number one, Gilles Simon. Um, And he said that Medvedev gave him a list of 16 players he doesn't like to play. And I wrote 16 tactics to face these players. And I thought... Honestly, that's wonderful. But I also thought, who are these 16 players? So I thought I'd put you on the spot and think, who would be on Medvedev's 16 players he doesn't like playing against? I think maybe a Manorino. Surely no one likes playing against a Manorino. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the obvious, I guess, Djokovic, Rafa. Djokovic could be a Roger. good one. Roger, well, he did very what well. Tactics, well, Roger's Kim? irrelevant now, I suppose. Um, tactics. What tactic would you give for Novak Djokovic? Um, just... Oh, I don't know. Hope, Get him to play loads injured. of overheads. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but he's got, I just this up. Hope for the best. Yeah, hope yeah. for the best. Um, I just looked this up, actually. Not a bad head-to-head. It is 2-0 to Djokovic over Gilles Simon, but every single match went to either five sets or three sets of the best of three format. So maybe someone, he's got more tactics under his belt than you think because you wouldn't have thought they would have been as close as that. I definitely think Stefanos Tsitsipas is on that list. And I think the tactic is clear and simple. Just play it to a single-handed backhand. I mean, I mean, don't employ Gilles Simon for that. Just get Joel to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Listen to the podcast. I can give you Much tactics. Cheaper. Yes, I give you tactics all week. He's joined the Medvedev camp. I thought camp. it was going to be um, 
a hearsay reference there. You, I thought you were going to say pure, <laughs> pure and, and simple, simple. Not, not clean and simple. <laughs> that would be what our reels would be no. set to, hearsay, pure and simple. Yeah. <laughs> pure and simple going to be there. Well, let's go to the tennis that was uh, last week. We had the Dubai WTA 1000 event. Did we have a Svantec or a Coco Goff or a Sabalenka winning? No, we did not. Uh, we had Jasmine Paulini Duh. winning the event. Uh Obvious choice for the win. Um, I mean, Jasmine Paulini against Anna Kalinskaya in the final. We all had that. We all had that, didn't we? Oh, nailed down. Nailed down in our predictions. No brainer. Uh, Four, six, seven, five, seven, five. Quite, Quite a dramatic final, really. And Jasmine Paulini comes out on top. Chris, talk us through Jasmine Paulini as a WTA 1000 champion. Well, firstly, it's a, it definitely was not on my bingo card. Did not see this happening because, I mean, she had a pretty good Australian Open reaching the fourth round before she actually went out to Kalinskaya. So she definitely has been kind of upping her game. But I mean, a 1,000 title is a really big leap. Um, I think previously, this is her, I believe it's her second title. Um, and previously it had been, I think it was a 250. So it, why not start... Um, your second title run with a 1,000. It'll be interesting to see what will come come next for her because now her rankings in the top 15, having kind of pulled off this remarkable win, um, she's going to get better draws. She's going to be playing against the top players much more regularly. And she kind of escaped playing the top players on her way through this draw. So there still is a big question mark about how she will match up against, you know, the Iga Sviantec she mentioned, the Coco Goffs, because Kalingstarskaya did it the hard way. I mean, she was the giant slayer of the week. She took out Ostapenko, Goff, Sviantec, and then she was serving for it, I believe, or it was on her racket and she didn't quite get it. So I think that it's taking your chances for Paolini against a player who had never been there before, um, let her get the win. But at the same time, I have to say, player of the week, I'm not sure it would be Paolini. I think for me, it might be Kalinskaya. Yeah, Kalinskaya, 6-4-3-1, she was up in that final. She served for the match at 5-4. She didn't get a match point, but, you know, really disappointing for her. She must be absolutely ruining the kind of lead that she let slip. And, you know, she did also extremely well at the Australian Open. Was she semi-finalist? Quarter-finalist. Quarter-finalist, yeah. yeah. So, you know, continuing her run of of good form this season... um, yeah, Joel, what what did you make of, of Callan Sky? I mean, what do you think was the kind of the key difference really in that final um that Paulini was able to just kind of keep going and and you know, what that 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 last set that at the closing stages of the match, what was it that Paulini did to, to get over the finish line? I think it was more, you know, Callan Sky, I think, certainly got a touch nervous, I think, you know, it was almost a situation where both players in a very unexpected moment in a in a WTA one thousand final and it felt in that very final part of that third set, who was going to handle their nerves best? And Kalinskaya, sad to say, it almost sort of just kind of fell apart from her because Paolini really kind of grabbed the um, the momentum. She won 16 of the last 19 points, uh, sprinted through those last four games and, uh, you know, took the took the match. So I'd say with Kalinskaya, maybe her nerves let her down a little bit towards the end. But at the same time, Paolini, I mean, she just battled through round after round you know this tournament you know had admire she was a set and it almost looked like she was you know on the verge of, of going out 
Serana Kasea as well in the semi-finals. She had to save six sets points in the in the second set before coming through in a in a tie break. And uh, I think that's just been the story of her tournament. She's just had unbelievable mentality, strong belief, strong desire to win, and that has seen her through. Where some of her opponents, like Callan Sky, have not been able to get it over the finish line. I just want to ask mm. a question here to both of you because. We were not predicting that Iga would come into Dubai and not bring the form that she had previously. It was such an out-of-sorts Iga, and I saw the statistic. This is 343 days since her last straight sets loss, which is very, I mean, very impressive. But I was watching most of that match, and it looked like her forehand broke down. But I think Cannon Sky was just hitting the cover off the ball and straight down the middle. Um, that backhand was really being hit hard. And do you think, that that is still the way to beat Iga. It's just to absolutely pummel the ball at her, take the time away and see if she lifts off the ball and starts kind of pushing it out the back because it looked like she just followed the game plan and it worked. I think for me, Callan Skyer in that match, she was also very calm and composed and she didn't let Shiontek and her, her bag of tricks, I think, phase her. And I think that actually got under you know, Shiontek's skin. And I think there was times where I was almost expecting Shiontek to to change it up from the baseline, you know, whether that was coming to the net, bringing some drop shots, change tactics. And it didn't really happen. And um, that's what I felt kind of with Kalen Skyer, that she was just able to stay calm and composed. And you know, Shiontek wasn't willing to adapt or change. And that, I think, fell into Kalen Skyer's hands. I mean, Kalen Skyer coming through Coco Goff and Iga Shiontek. So she really was the, yeah, the giant killer of the... Uh of the week where do you think she can go from here i mean what what, what do you expect to see from Kalin sky over the next kind of few weeks are we picking her to potentially pick up you know i mean could she get to another final of the, the one of the upcoming thousand events do, do we think i think her game is next time her, she has the game and i think she showed us that that australia quarterfinal wasn't a flash in the pan that she really can play at this level and i think she surprised a lot of people and as joel said it didn't look like she surprised herself really because she was so calm in those key moments against the top players. But then I guess winning the title is another sort of um, kettle of fish when, when it gets to that point. But really solid backhand. She takes the ball so early. Her serve was playing. I mean, it was very, much better than I have ever thought it would be. Um, and I think it reminds me a little bit of like Joe Conter in the sense that, you know, she's a little bit more mature when she's making her breakthrough in the sense that this isn't a 19-year-old. It's someone who we didn't necessarily think would reach... Um, this stage based on the form book previously and something has just switched so I think it must be the mental side of the game because clearly she's great great technique she's able to to play tennis to a very high standard so if she can keep the mindset why can't she go top 20 maybe even top 15 by end of year I mean to think she had to she had to qualify you know for this event uh, and she was very much very very close to I think becoming one of the I think the first ever qualifier to win a WTA 1000 event, which is truly, truly wild. Um, but yeah, maybe those matches just caught up with her potentially at the end in in the final because that three set match, it was just, it went on. And the longer it went on, as I say, kind of Paolini with that mindset, it just it sort of just kind of went her way in the end. Yeah, Paolini also was the beneficiary of a walkover over Rabakina 
uh, which might have meant she was just that bit fresher as it got to the latter stages of the final. Um, but, you know, full credit to her into the top 15, biggest win of her career. Well done, Paulini. Um, just a note on Sabalenka. This was her first match back uh, in Dubai since winning the Australian Open. She opened against Donna Vekic in the first round and lost. Uh, and not just any old loss. She was bageled in, in that third set. What what did you make of Sabalenka kind of and her performance? It's not the way she would have wanted to have kind of returned to the tour, is it? No, it, it wasn't. Um, I think, to be honest, it's not too surprising when you look at it, given the fact that this did happen last year as well in a very similar format. She lost early in Dubai. So I think we weren't expecting her to lose so early, especially because she has a very good draw. We thought we were going to see some you know, some clashes between maybe a Rabakina, Sabalenka semi-final potentially. Um, but I mean, it, it's a long time since she's played um, and a long time since she's she's had that victory and it's completely different um, conditions and you have to get, you know, it's a muscle you've got to continue to, to work out. So I think she's got to get herself back on the tour more regularly again. Um, and I'm sure that we've seen this, you know, she's been bageled at the start of the year. Uh, against Rebecca and then she picked up herself up and she won a Grand Slam so I don't think anyone's particularly worried about it but it does seem like Vekic might be a bit of a bogey woman for her the head-to-head is Donna Vekic six Arena Sabalenka two and I, I always thought that you know a, a, a stone had been turned perhaps um, in in this rivalry and we were going to see Sabalenka come out with a victory against, you know, Vekic in this match. But it wasn't the case. I mean, what is it about Donna Vekic, do you think, that Arena Sabalenka just has such a hard, hard time with? Ooh, I think it's probably the fact that Vekic does love a hard ball. I think when she's generating her own pace, she makes a lot more mistakes. And you see her lose some matches. I mean, 6-1, 6-1 against players who are a lot craftier on the court. And she can kind of beat herself at times. So I think probably Sabalenka is a combination of Sabalenka doesn't like to be rushed. Vekic likes the pace. And, you know, if you catch Sabalenka on a day where she's making a few more unforced errors than winners, it gives Vekic a great opportunity to get a win. So I think it must be that sort of a matchup side of things more than it is um, to do with the fact that Vekic plays like particularly well. She is a big match player anyway. But I mean... I was surprised because she has had some very topsy-turvy results this year, Vekic. So not so surprised by the head-to-head, but surprised by this result. And a bagel to finish was really surprising for me. Mm. I mean, Vekic, we know she's a bit of a princess of the grass courts as well. So I wonder if some of those wins had come Mm. out on the the lawns. Um, But let's continue in the Middle East because we also had the Doha event uh, on the ATP side of things, which was a 250. And this was won by... Karen Hatchinoff uh, in the end, seven six six four over a bit of a surprise finalist, I suppose, uh, Jakub Mensik of the Czech Republic, uh, who, well, he had quite a few big wins over the course of the week. But yeah, Hatchinoff is the champion. Um, I mean, he hadn't won a title, I think, since last September. So he's uh, picked up another one. It's his sixth ATP title in total. Um which actually, I don't know if that's surprising or not. I felt like he might have picked up maybe a couple more um, as he's been around for quite a while. But he didn't face a seeded player en route, um, so quite a comfortable week for him in total. Perhaps more interestingly, I suppose, Jakob Mensik. Uh, what what do we know about Mensik? Because I have to say, I'd not really seen much of him before this week. Um, I know he's uh, a next-genner, isn't he, Joel? 
yeah, he's a he's a very very handy player and a very bright player. I think for the future. I was watching a few videos, a few interviews um, of him. He's spoken about Novak Djokovic being his inspiration, and uh, you can see in terms of the way he plays his game, he's a handful. You know, for the you know for big big players, experienced players, he shows no fear, and I think that's what you need. You know, at this stage, particularly when you're coming up against such stalwarts of the game like Gael Monfils. Uh, Andy Murray as well, although I do think Andy Murray probably should have won that match. Um, but he just is very aggressive, I think, from the the baseline. He has a lot of good shots. Doesn't feel like he's got any obvious weaknesses. And uh, yeah, it's just, um, you know, for me, this is almost kind of his breakout tournament. And although he wasn't able to get it done in the final, um, considering the names he took out to get there, it was very, very impressive. And maybe quite similar to, to Callan Skyer in terms of the the calibre of names he took out en route, but just not able to get it over the finish line. Yeah, he's up to 87 in the rankings now. So he's he's in the top 100 where he's debuted now. And like you said, he had a, a real battle against Andy Murray in the second round. Three tie breaks it was. A bit gutting for, for you, Joel, and, and other Murray oh, fans, that I'm volley, sure. That backhand volley at the net um, on set point in that first set that he went on to lose uh yeah uh, i'm 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 still having nightmares about it i think yeah a bit of a shame we know murray's lost quite a few long battles you know three and a bit hours it's 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 tough it's tough it does there. tend to make you think though that when um murray has these losses everyone writes murray worst loss of career and then fast forward he takes out rublev in straight sets um and then pushes Kachanov all the way in the final so it does put a bit Mm. of perspective that we shouldn't necessarily be kind of jumping to conclusions because when you look at that in the light of the rest of the tournament I mean he took out a top 10 player in Andre Rublev who's someone who has previously won uh, in Doha before so I think that does definitely give it a bit of a different perspective. It softens the blow. It, it, it does. softens the blow, definitely. Absolutely. It does. It seems like beating Murray is almost like the catalyst for people to suddenly have the, the week of their life or playing Murray um, seems to be. But I mean, what great prospects he has. I mean, he's 18 um, and he's already kind of putting together such great results on the tour. And he pushed, uh, I think it was pushed her catch to five sets at the Australian Open. So... He's definitely working his way up and I'm sure his ranking will only continue to rise. Yeah, and um, in the final against Hatchinov, that first set, it was, you know, went what, 14-12 on the so tie close. break, you know. So, he, you know, he Hatchinov had to um, save four set points. It was really close. I mean, it could have, you know, if he'd caught that first set, Mensik, you know, could have gone all the way and, and won the title. Hatchinov loves winning a, a tie break 14-12 because he did that in the first set against Popper in the semi-final. He's not well, the most go. mentally doesn't rock solid. Yeah, he doesn't, does he? But <laughs> I mean, it's quite impressive because he did, um, he did serve uh, sixteen aces. Um, Jakub did so. I mean, to win a tie break against someone who's serving that many aces, I mean, that is quite the feat. That's almost like when her um, her catch loses like t- loses matches seven six seven six six uh, six seven or whatever it would be. But um, didn't even face a break point. So I guess the work that I would say has to be done would be off the ground rather than off the serve. Um, it seems like probably playing against these top players, they are just that bit better from the baseline right now. So that would be um, an area where, I mean, he's 18, there's so much room for improvement and time to improve. One question I was just going to ask Kim on this. So we've talked a lot about Alcaraz and where he is kind of on the form side of things, but now we've got this another gen coming up. So have we got 
new new gen next gen current gen and future gen and then we've got you know the big three how do we how do we make sense of all of this now when we go through these things and we've got babies who are like next 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 I next know, gen um, I know. toddlers we need, we need a code for it <laughs> it's like the the multiverse it's like a multiverse yeah gen- yes. generation like multiverse. Pyramid. yeah yeah measure your height against the wall I mean, one of my favourite comments, as you know, that I saw on social media last year when Wimbledon was having those issues with um, what round people were playing and, you know, because of the delays and it was all, the draw was all screwed. Um, It was no rounds, just vibes, which made me laugh. So maybe it could just be like no gens, just vibes. No ages, just vibes. No gens, just vibes. I I like that. I don't care how old people are. I'm just going to want them to play on the tennis don't? Why don't, just radical idea here, Let's like take a grand slam and categorize players by the generation they're in and make that each quarter Ooh, so we can get so we like definitely a... get some multi generational clashes. <laughs> yes, the best of them... the mid gen. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm doing. Okay, I mean, are we, are we bringing back you know, like um, Rod Laver? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe how, not. That much. How generational are we going? We'll, we'll, yeah. have a, we'll have a generation on alternate. Okay, right. I mean. Talking about someone who I guess will be soon maybe going into the retired generation, Andy Murray today. Uh, he's he's in Dubai for this week's tournament. He's beaten Denis Shapovalov. Uh, but he did mention today that he probably doesn't have too long left, but he's going to do as best as he can these last few months. Uh, so I'm paraphrasing him there. But Joel, big Murray fan, I know. Uh, do you think that he's really indicating now that he's planning to maybe retire at Wimbledon I mean it 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 sounds that way um I mean it was incredible result against Shapovalov today uh 500 wins now on on hard courts but as a Murray fan you can't help but notice in that interview he's now put a time a time frame potentially on um you know on, on when his tennis is coming to an end and you know with that it does sound like the British grass court season could be his last hurrah it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily surprise me I just wonder whether Wimbledon will be his final event and he's been playing all these matches just to get to that point as opposed to he's going to play another season. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But it does sound like the grass court season could be, I say, that sort of last moment to see some to see some Murray magic on a tennis court. Yeah, soak it all up while you can. Um, let's have a look at what happened out in South America on the Golden Swing last year because we did have the Rio Open, which is an ATP 500 event. Uh, this one last year was where Cameron Norrie beat Carlos Alcaraz in the final. But this year, 2024, neither of them got there. Uh, Alcaraz going out um, to Tiago Montero. I mean, I say going out, he retired after two games, so make of that what you will Cameron Norrie uh, getting beaten in the semi-final by uh, Navone Mariano Navone an Argentinian qualifier uh, so that wasn't great um, but it was ultimately won by Sebastian Baez in the end uh, who came across uh, Navone in the final 6-2-6-1 it was quite one-sided uh, in terms of the scoreline so he picked up his fifth title of his career and his what his biggest title to date at this 500 level um, Chris what did did you make of the action in Rio? Sebastian Baez, surprised by that or perhaps more surprised by, by Navone, the qualifier, getting there? Well, to be honest, I think I'm just a bit surprised that, you know, we didn't have Alcaraz making a deep run and we didn't have Norrie making a deep run because, I mean, mm. last year's Golden Swing was basically, you know, the Norrie-Alcaraz show where they were just kind of trading trading titles. So 
they really haven't made an impact this time. So I think my big takeout is I'm, I'm very pleased with Baez in this because he's a player who has quite a different background from a lot of the Argentinian players. He didn't come from much at all. He worked very, very hard. He's a real grifter in terms of how much he does play on the tour, how many tournaments he plays. Um, and he didn't have the sort of funding that like the Echeverries uh, and the Serendulos had. And actually, what I think is kind of interesting is some of these results, when he plays against an Argentinian, he does rather well because, I mean, it's straight sets against all of the Argentinians he faced. And he does say, unlike the other Argentinians, he thinks that friendship doesn't always help. It can be a hindrance. So that's very different from the Argentinian attitude. And maybe that's why he's kind of on this path where he is getting these titles in a way that the other Argentinians aren't really able to emulate because I think you said five titles already and of players active at the moment. I mean, that's right up there. Um, and the biggest being a 500. So he's definitely maxing out on his talent and his potential. Yeah, he's only 22 and he's got, um, yeah, five titles. So I, th- I think, um, so that, yeah, he's still still pretty young, isn't he? So, um, but yeah, and, and obviously Navone, he his the first time he would have been in this position so he had a, he had a great week coming through beating nori i mean that was quite a comprehensive defeat 6462 over nori and nori had been kind of going through relatively comfortably up to that point i watched some of that kim nori did not look himself uh just mm. during that match i wondered actually on at some points if he was going to withdraw or retire because it did look mm-hmm. like he, he was ill I don't know if he'd had something dodgy to eat or, or what it was but um he was not he was just not at the races at all yeah and what do we know about Alcaraz you know 10 minutes into his match retired um what, what's the situation there? should we be worried rolling your ankle 10 minutes into a tennis match is is just not what you want and it just feels like at the moment with Alcaraz when it rains it, it pours you know he's not been in, in great form you know, he's not been playing the tennis. We all know that he's capable of. And, you know, to add in a, an, an injury um, to your ankle that, that it does look like he's going to play in India Wells. So not as bad as it, as it could have been. But at the same time, it's it's just another disruption on a season that he wants no disruptions. It's going to be really tricky this next period for him. And I really am not sure if he's going to be in the top 10 kind of by the end of the year necessarily, because... I mean, if you look at it from a ranking points perspective alone, he's dropped a lot of points in the golden swing already. And then now coming up, he's got some big points. I mean, he's got to defend or try and defend Indian Wells. Um, he also had a semi-final in Miami last year. He won uh, in Barcelona. He won in Madrid. You know, then we keep going semi-finals of the French. He then had the victory at Queens and the victory at Wimbledon. Finals of Cincinnati, like he was playing top two tennis top one tennis at, at times last year so um i do think it's going to be a bit of a um a, a, re- a rethink because juan carlos ferrer was talking about the fact that when he is playing he's not tactically working it out in the way that he has done previously and i think if if you're not figuring it out then that's actually doesn't matter how you can play the tennis we know how mental the game is um and it's the problem solving that i think he's done such a good job of previously so i don't know what do we think top 10 by the end of the year or do you think that maybe I just think something might happen he maybe he'll be out for a bit of time and then he'll come back again I think he obviously will be back at the top but I'm not convinced right now I think he can be in the top 10 at the end of the year but I do think yeah he's going to go down and I don't think he's going to defend all those points but I think it's almost maybe he just needs this time after his standout season last year whereby he he regroups and he comes back and he works on you know the areas that we know he needs to improve on 
is he too good for the golden swing uh, is, is a question I would ask. I mean, I know last week we spoke about how Rafa started off, you know, getting clay court titles on, on the golden swing in, in South America. Um, is it the right play for Alcaraz to go out there and do and do these tournaments, do you think? I think it's for the paycheck, if I'm honest. Um, he gets paid an awful lot to mm. go there. We're talking... Um, Nine, what was it nine hundred thousand dollars? Wasn't yeah, it? I think for, exactly. for Buenos Aires. So um, imagine what it might be in Rio. So I think he still did fulfill quite a lot of his commitments as well um, in Rio as well. So I think it's more about following the money. And I think we'll talk about this a bit more in the second half. But he's certainly following the money by playing the Netflix Slam. Mm, yes, more of that later. Um, before we go to a break, we did also have the Los Cabos event uh, in Mexico, which is the ATP 250 event. Uh, this one was a kind of also full of surprises, but very fun week for a certain someone. That's Jordan Thompson taking home the title 6-3-7-6 over Casper Ruud in the final. Uh, Jordan Thompson, well, he had to play... I think three matches uh, on on the last day alone um, came back various Crazy. times across Crazy. the cor- course of the week. I mean, it's a real dramatic turnaround in his fortunes. I don't know really where to start, but um, what an effort from him because uh, yeah, it's being dubbed a, a bit of a miracle week uh, for for Jordan Thompson. I mean, I guess. To start with, he in the quarterfinal he was down six love, three love against Alex Michelson turned that one around, uh, was down in his semi-final against um, Sasha Zverev as well. And uh, then was also, well, not down against Rude, but just, yeah, had a bit of a battle to, to cap it off. But then, yeah, had to play two doubles matches on the final day as well uh, to win both, both won both of those, won the doubles and the singles down in Los Cabos. I'm tired just talking about it. Um, I can't imagine how shattered he must have felt after the event. What a feeling. What a feeling. I mean, your first ever ATP Tour single side. So, I mean, he's been battling on the way on the tour for a while now. And uh, I think this is is just rewards. And, um, you know, to think that he was so close to going out in that quarterfinal, I think he he himself said that he thought he was going to be double bageled. It was Um, six love and all points for 5-1. Yeah, yeah, it was so so different isn't it it's turned that we around. were going to we were going to be talking about him in a completely different light yeah. uh, it, it felt like at that moment but to consider the, the the run he went on from there to the final and then to get that win in straight sets over Casper Ruud and I think he finished at like 3am local time to win the doubles trophy as well it's it's very special I think when you would obviously win your, your first ever singles title on the tour but to win singles and doubles, that is a very, very impressive feat. I felt a bit bad for Casper, though, because he was beaten in both finals. Because Casper made a doubles final of all things, which <laughs> yes. is quite surprising. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a double dose of defeat that he had to take um, against at the hands of Jordan Thompson, which you think he might get one of them, one of the two. But um, Jordan was not in a particularly generous mood. Uh, not, I don't think he lost a set um, in the semifinals or the... Or the finals of the doubles or in the finals so it's a great result and I found out the last time this happened which I had to hazard a guess who last won the singles and doubles on the tour was yes I think I've got it is it uh, yeah I know I was thinking this as she went on to say it Um, come on then well I was gonna I don't know Joel do you want to say or shall I I Give him I the glory, I could be completely wrong, but maybe this is why Kim's asking me. I, I want to say Andy Murray won the Tokyo Open against Rafa 
and he won the doubles with Jamie Murray. But That's way long ago. Is that right? too? Is that what so? Year you, what year are you talking about? I, I think that happened. Maybe it wasn't the last time it happened. I just I don't think is it, it not, happens that that often though. Is it not Feliciano Lopez at Queens in 2019? Ooh. Um, oh, it's probably neither. <laughs> is that? I, I think it's Washington. Oh, 20, okay. 22. Oh, okay. And right. Any more guesses? You've really got old school, you guys. Absolutely. You just okay. you've just gone for your faves, <laughs> Spaniards and Brits here. Um, it was Yannick Sinner. It was Nick Kyrgios who did it. Oh, yeah, so um, oh we're Kokinakis. Australians. Kokinakis? They clearly love. I'm not sure who he did double. it with, but yeah, Australians. It's something about the Australians. Multi-talented, multi-talented nation. I, I mean, I did also have to get look up the the doubles that with Casper Ruud. I thought, oh, he doesn't normally get to the semis of of the doubles, but he was playing with William Bloomberg. Uh, so there we go but yeah not to be well done Jordan Thompson what a way to get uh, your first singles title on the tour and get another doubles title so yeah fantastic stuff let's take a very quick break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing the upcoming Netflix slam in Las Vegas as we've alluded to Uh, we'll be looking at Holger Runa returning to Patrick Moratoglu's coaching camp and also looking at how we would perhaps upgrade the golden swing in South America so do not go anywhere Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. And now we're going to move on to... A mysterious player. Uh, <laughs> the we haven't done this for a while. Oh, it has these. returned. We haven't forgotten about it. Much better than Joel's it. game. Um, I can't remember what Joel's game is, but I know I wasn't ooh. good at it. Oh, yeah, we had a new game, didn't we? But We'll be we'll bringing that back, that, don't okay. worry. Okay. Get that one out of the box yeah. Yeah. Uh, soon, Joel's game. Uh, right, I've got one for both you and, uh, well, both of you uh, and our listeners, so you'll have to fight it out amongst yourselves as to who's going to Yes, they can play along at home, can't they? Pens and papers at the ready. Yes. So, right, I'm going to read out a succession of clues and we'll see how you all get on. Um, Chris, I know once upon a time you did get the first clue, which is usually someone's birthday. So I'm, I'm, I'll be very surprised if you get <laughs> this person's birthday. too long on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Mysterious player. I was born on the 7th of August, 1997. Oh, interesting. So probably still playing at the moment. Uh, I should hope so, yeah. Who's going to go first, Chris? You can, you can pick him who goes first. Oh, uh, Joel, you go first. 
Because you look like you're struggling. Uh, um, <laughs> Being me. I'm going to go with Hugo Delian. <laughs> That's not actually that bad a shout, really. But no, it's not Hugo Delian. Um, I'll go for Francis Tiafo. Incorrect. Not there just yet. So, um, next clue is quite a general one, but uh, potentially important. I play right-handed with a two-handed backhand. So, well, that narrows it down. Some yeah. people. <laughs> I'm just going to say the same nice. guess, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Adrian Manorino. Oh no, it's not going to be Adrian Manorino. He's too old. No, he's, um, not, he's not that young. I'm going to say Francisco Serendolo. Incorrect. Anything else from you, Chris? Or shall I proceed? Um, well, I've got to give it a guess, haven't I? Uh, I'll go Andre Rublev. Incorrect. My highest career ranking is number 36. Oh, God. Kim. Oh, this is right in Chris's uh, sweet spot. 36. Um, that is not great. Could be is it a female player as well? Um I know you always assume it's a man on this game. No, because it's really hard to I know. just assume it's a Spanish male player. That's what I go with. <laughs> like and then I'm gonna work my way up to it. Uh I wish we could ask questions, Joel. <laughs> Yulia Putintseva. No, it's not Putintseva. That would be truly iconic if that was what you got. Um well, in that so we need a twenty-six-year-old right-hander, thirty-six. That's very specific, isn't it? I can't think of anyone who would have had a career high. Maybe it's a double specialist. Oh, I have no idea. I'll just go Taylor Townsend. I have no idea. Incorrect. Okay, next clue. I made my Grand Slam debut at the 2021 Australian Open after I qualified and reached the second round. Second round. Mm. It could be a double specialist. I'm going to say Storm Sanders. Incorrect. Qualified and made the second round. I'll go for. I actually have no idea. I'm gonna pass. I literally am passing because we're not getting closer, are we, Joel? <laughs> okay. I reached the semi-finals of the 2022 ATP Cup after winning two singles and three doubles matches with my teammate Daniel Medvedev. Oh my god! I think right. So you know it's a bloke. This is, you've carved out a horrific Mysterious Player. <laughs> it was, people said bring back Mysterious Player, now they won't be. <laughs> Impossible Player. <laughs> Russian Player. Um, I think I know who it is. I think I did as well. Do we, I think we have to say it on the same count, because otherwise. Oh, do we? Ooh. Yeah, okay, shall I count you in? On the count of three, when it gets to three, you say the okay. name. Okay, so one, two, three. Roman Karatsev. 
<laughs> he oh said my. something different. So just for the purposes Aslan's of Aslan's been Joel higher said than thirty-six. Aslan Karatsev. Oh yeah, he has. Joel says Karatsev. Has. Chris has said Safulin. Oh, I think Chris is right. If I give you the next, oh, tell us the next cue. I, Come on. I reached the quarterfinals of Wimbledon in twenty twenty-three. Oh, it is Roman Safulin. It is Roman oh, Safulin. No. Well done, Chris. Oh, no. <laughs> that was the hardest one we've ever done. Ooh. <laughs> Do you know where I got my inspiration from? I was away for the weekend with some friends. <laughs> with Roman. And, um, <laughs> oh, maybe, no. <laughs> maybe it was a Roman site you were at. My friend said, oh, who's that Russian tennis player? I've been following them since Wimbledon last year. And I said, oh, I don't know who you mean. And they couldn't remember his name. And then they, they did a bit of a Google and they went, oh, it's Safunin. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. Um, and so then making waves he became my amongst your friends, mysterious Kim. player. Mm, fair enough. Making waves amongst my friends who don't really follow tennis. It's not so, done much yes, since, has he? Famous. No, not not an awful lot. Um, but had a win over Alcaraz, I think, uh, last year as well. So um, he's getting the wins here I think and in there. Paris, then. he got a win, yeah, over Alcaraz. So he's had a few upset wins, but. Um, you know, but his highest ranking of 36 was in January of this year. Oh, so so watch this space. Exactly. Well, listeners have to Absolutely. let us know. Did you get it from the first clue? And if you did, we will send you a T-shirt. Not a T-shirt. We'll send you a tote bag. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll send you everything. Everything we have. Have you memorised every ATP player's birthday? Uh, yeah, exactly. maybe that's a new quiz. Um, ATP birthdays. <laughs> well, let's have a look what's in the Tennis Weekly mailbag this week. Uh, we've had David get in touch with us on email. And David has asked us, uh, he said, Hi, Tennis Weekly. With Andy Murray this week on social media saying that South America should have its own dedicated swing plus a Masters Series event, what changes would you make to improve the Golden Swing? Uh, so thanks very much, David, for getting in contact with us. And he's referring to a tweet by Andy Murray um which Andy was sort of expressing the fact that the Golden Swing have incredible tournaments and fans, amazing atmospheres. It's a big part of their sporting culture and that, you know, they should really have much more kind of credit given to them for that and rewarded with um, uh, their own Master Series, perhaps. So what do you guys think? Do you think, do you agree with Andy Murray? Do you think more could be made of, of this phase in the calendar? Well, we were at, obviously... Buenos Aires with Alina there and she said that they've been applying for years to be a 500 and it really does have the feel of a 500 size wise based on the different um, tournaments that we've been to and that she's been to and so it feels like they aren't upgrading it because Rio is not being upgraded so it almost feels like you should upgrade Rio and then you can upgrade Argentina and then it makes it a lot more kind of um uh, I guess more more incentive for the players to go down and play there and I think the other thing I would do and this could be very unpopular um, and Murray did say that this could be an unpopular opinion but I really don't have much time for these US 250s where it is just you know it's just the Americans who don't necessarily want to travel at that time and they're already going to be playing you know in Indian Wells and Miami and I think you don't really need to have them competing and kind of taking some of those players away from the clay because seeing different players like Cam Norrie playing the Golden Swing, I think it's actually a very interesting prospect seeing players in a different situation, a different environment you've never seen them in before. So I would say yes. And I think a lot of the players do always want to make sure that they go back and play it before they retire. Like Stan said that to Alina in press that, you know, he wanted one more final Golden Swing and you just think it's um, something special down there. So I think it more than deserves it. Yeah, it feels like the, 
the golden swing as a fan it's like almost like in bucket list territory i think you know the the events you see it on tv the atmosphere doesn't look like anything else on on the tour and you know seeing all the fans at the the buenos aires event it just shows that there is a real appetite for tennis out there and it's almost a shame that they can't cap it i think with a a masters 1000 event and you know if that is i think that should be the case and i think it should be kind of the what everything is kind of leading up to because it doesn't feel to me like there is anything that they're kind of leading to because we have this you know 500 event in rio that's great but the week after we've got kind of like the the chili open i think which is another 250 so it doesn't to me feel like there's any sense of building towards something and um i think that's a kind of a, a missed opportunity so i do wonder whether you know there is kind of potential to maybe make buenos aires a 500 and have rio maybe as a masters 1000 event get some players out there who might not pass who might pass at it um because there's not enough ranking points available and as you said chris get these players in these environments where it is rowdy it's it like is a davis raucous. cup match you have yeah you mm. have wild cards and qualifiers you know playing out of their skin going deep in draws almost defeat the it, argentinians <laughs> yeah it just creates very unique and interesting matchups like I, we still talk about the Alcaraz Nori match uh, Rio from from last year, and it's it's those sorts of like matchups. I'd love to see like a lot more out there because um, it's just such a unique proposition. Yeah, I think it would be fun to have a Masters event there. I think that would make sense for it to build up to something. Um, and I think, I mean, not every other tournament has a train that goes past. <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking over the the uh stand which i thought that was it's just one like quirky thing i loved about it and i think um yeah it would give it much more i think it would give it the credit that it deserves so i agree with andy murray as well um so we're pretty much in, in a consensus popular opinion there, than andy murray popular opinion he thinks he thinks it's an unpopular opinion i think he didn't think it would go down well uh if it was suggested to the powers that be we'll perhaps. put it on our twitter we'll do a poll and see what you guys say well, let's have a look now at the Netflix slam, which is still going ahead, we believe. Uh, it's, well, I'm a bit kind of confused as to what it is, to be honest with you. I've, I've seen various things. It's the things, Netflix things. slam, kid. It's self-explanatory. It's an exhibition in Las Winner Vegas. Winner gets a subscription to Netflix yeah. for a year. Yeah, that's but the prize. broadcast, is it broadcast on Netflix? <laughs> it's streaming like, live, yeah, it is indeed. Oh, right, mm. okay. And it's on March the 3rd yes. at the Mandalay Bay? Yes which is a hotel in Vegas. These are all correct. You're very confused, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just... But, I mean, there's astronomical amounts of money being floated around uh, as as part of this. I think, obviously, Rafa's going to be there. Alcaraz is going to be there. Apparently, they're charging vast fortunes of money for private tennis sessions um, as part of the, the general the general event. I mean, they've got various players also involved. Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo. Uh, John Isner and Sam Query are there as well. It's slightly less exciting, but um, yeah. Uh, Could what, you imagine getting you... a training session with John Isner <laughs> and Sam Query just blasting, blasting like 140 mile an hour? They're not doing serves, serves are they? Imagine if they're doing something else. Like I'd want a refund. I'd want a refund if it was the serve practice. Well, you're paying two thousand dollars per person for them, but it's fifty thousand dollars per person for Nadal and wow, Alcaraz. But that's a group. Uh, the private oh. session for Rafa or um, Charlie is a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That is mad money. Um, I mean, I'd hope that I improved in that time. I mean, I better come out with Rafa's backhand if or Rafa's forehand as well. If you're paying that much money. 
Would you pay that, Kim? No, absolutely not. For I mean, a a, I don't have that sort of money. <laughs> we'll do a crowdfunder. <laughs> oh, I've just, yeah, there's just, I mean, it's, are we going to see more of these sorts of events, do you think? Well, Is it, are they sort of taking over? The thing that I don't understand or I, I'm not, loving is the the kind of more flagrant uses we're seeing in exhibitions of the word slam um mm. and it feels like that term should be protected more um mm. to the four grand slams that exist and shouldn't just be used like as a you know marketing opportunity um like a loophole I've... you know when they talk about the super bowl you have to say the big game but it seems like no one owns slam mm. so they can get away with it right yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't like how other people can kind of come in and just say slam, and you know, we, we, we're we're sort of meant to believe that. Um, so I, I don't like it from that perspective. But we're seeing like exhibition events crop up more and more. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me, particularly with what Netflix have been doing with Breakpoint, for example. But should these players be playing it? I'm not sure. Particularly at the moment where you know Alcaraz. You know, with his an- ankle injury at Rio, is this the wisest option? Rafa as well. Um, I guess it makes more sense from him because this is a bit of match practice coming back uh, mm. for the Indian Wells. But um, it's, yeah, there's a part of me that's kind of like, there's no real need to play this, is there? It did seem a bit cursed, didn't it? As soon as that happened, when obviously Rafa then pulled out of the Australian Open and then now Carlos has obviously got injured. Um, and when there's big money on the line, I guess you still have to turn up and then probably play at 50%, which is obviously yeah. not what people are paying for. But I'd argue the sort of people who are going to see this is broader than the normal tennis audience um, and probably are going more because they're such big fans of these players. So I think we'll see more of it. It makes you kind of, it begs the question, you know, before UTS, there's always a, a fun game where they all play together. Maybe that will start to be monetized in a different way. And maybe that's the future of how some of this stuff is going. But um, I mean... I'm not sure that many of these are looking to get into coaching whilst they're still active players. It's a bit strange in that sense. Tickets are $485 uh, starting at that uh, plus fees and what have you. So it's, you know, it's not for the everyday person. But, you know, thank thankfully we'll be able to watch it on Netflix, I suppose. So um, hurrah for that. Uh, well, well, we'll see how it is. It might be, it, you know. Joel, you fun. can review it um, for us and explain to Kim what happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I just need to work out the time zone because uh, yeah it's, it's in Vegas I mean Formula One's gone to Vegas now they're obviously Vegas are trying to get a lot more sport going there I suppose so we'll see how it goes we're not going to knock it till we've uh, watched it um, and uh, yeah we'll we'll share our, our opinions I guess well once it's once it's happened but um, yeah be, if it it'd be happens. exciting to see Rafa back if it happens could be Isna <laughs> we'll versus see. you know Query and <laughs> playing in front of a Vegas audience oh that would be amazing <laughs> yeah uh, and in other news, we've had uh, some updates from Holger Runa, uh, who has announced that he has reunited with Patrick Muratoglu, uh, and he will become his full-time coach uh, from well with immediate effect. Uh, so they did part ways last season, and, and Runa has since worked with Boris Becker and also Severin Luti, but Muratoglu is back. Uh, and they've known each other for years, uh, Bruna being part of the uh, the sort of academy and, and foundation. Um, Chris, you know, we know you're quite a big Holger Runa follower, especially being based in Denmark. What, what do you make of the 
of this latest from his camp. It's definitely not a surprise because throughout the entire time, the performance analyst, Mike James, was working with him and he works for the Mortoglu Academy. So Mortoglu always retained a presence in his camp. Um, a lot of the sort of the narrative that's been the rhetoric that's been used is about someone who really knows him. So I think people were looking at, oh, is he going to go back to maybe his childhood coach like he's talked about? Or will it still be Kenneth Carlson? Um, but no, he's gone back to Patrick. And I think a lot of us thought this would be coming. I think it's uh, t- when it was first announced, we weren't sure about it. Um when he first started working with him and obviously it paid dividends winning in Stockholm and then obviously getting kind of the result of his career so far against Novak Djokovic in Paris. So they did have a very successful record. They did make Masters finals last year before they split. And it does feel like that this is the right way to be going. Um, And I think it's quite positive because he did break with um, his existing management with his mother. And now he is with IMG and it feels like this is a much more solid base that he has um, being part of that system um, than it would be kind of having all these different other coaches involved because I don't know how you'd manage the egos in that camp before now but I put the question to you Joel should he have ever hired Boris especially knowing Boris could never travel with him to lots of places yeah I mean the the whole Holgeruna team situation it feels like he's not really stuck with kind of one thing. There's been a lot of flip flip flopping and coming back to Patrick Muratoglu. It just gives me it just reminds me of that, you know, Friends episode of like Ross and Rachel and like we were on a break yeah. and it's like to me it's almost like that. And I don't think you <laughs> who's can Ross and who's Rachel in this. I yeah. don't, good question. <laughs> but I I don't think you can you can't reach the top of your game, I don't think, without a, a stable a stable support team behind you and he's just not it feels like had that over the last six to 12 months or so and, and that is what has felt like has been holding him back so if if this thing gives him that stability having Muratoglu back gives him that stability I think it can be a good thing having said that because of the, the way it sort of flip-flopped in the past I'm still like the jury's out in terms of how how long maybe this is going to last and it's one of those things that I think can bear fruit and it can push Holger you know, to places he hasn't been before, but he needs that stability. And I think you're only going to get that with with time. Yeah. And I mean, he does have a large number of points, actually, to defend with uh, from, you know, Acapulco sort of through to Wimbledon. Uh, so it might well be that it on paper, it looks like this partnership doesn't work immediately because he might be dropping down a bit. Um, it, you know, it all depends. But I think the latter half of the season, he has a lot less to defend so that might be where the the real inroads are happening and he does but... talk about he wants a slam I think he doesn't really care about these other tournaments now and so I'd like to see him play mm-hmm. less and get himself into some of those later stages because he's got big ambitions he's got big talent and he's just spreading himself too thin so hopefully you know Patrick when he worked with Serena Serena was not playing week in week out on the tour she didn't need to and I think I'm not comparing their talent level as being the same at all but I'm saying that you can set yourself up like Yannick Sinner did by not playing a lead-up event for the AO and performing very well so I think he needs to learn that time on court doesn't mean time well spent always less can be more well let's have a look at what's happening this week on the tour we've got a hat trick of hard court 500s this week we've got ATP out in Dubai and Acapulco the WTA in San Diego and we've also got a couple of 250s we've got the ATP Chile Open and the WTA 
ATX Open in Austin. Um, do you have any particular events that you're looking forward to the most, either of you? Anything catching your eye that you've going to be tuning into this week? Oh, I, for me, it's Dubai and, and Daniel Medvedev actually being the, the top seed there. When last time we saw him step out on a, on a tennis court in that Australian Open final, it just ended in such a you know, heartbreaking fashion for him. So um, I'm curious to see how he bounces back from that um, in, in Dubai. I think he's got quite a nice opening draw against yeah, Shevchenko. Could face Chris, one of your favourites, Sumit Nagal. Ooh, in, uh, he's got a wild in card, the second hasn't he? Round. Well earned yeah, wild, wild card, card there. Yeah, I think that would um, be a good one. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how Daniel Medvedev gets on this week, I think. I'm scrolling to find Sloane. She's playing somewhere. I've seen it. Number two yeah, seed. Yeah, she's the second seed. In Texas. Yeah, it hasn't got the the biggest lineup there. But the other the other person I'm looking at will be Norrie switching to hardcore. Can he reverse his fortune? Um, mm. And I think there'll be some questions that will be, well, we're looking for answers for there. So I think that would be a good one to watch. And Kim, are you excited about Roman Safulin versus Stefanos Sissipas in round one of Acapulco? Well, now that we've mentioned Roman Safulin, I fully expect him to beat It just says that on the draw. Sitsipas versus Mysterious Player. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, actually, I'm quite interested to see what JPEG is going to do in San Diego. We haven't seen her back on um, court for a while. So, yeah, top seed there. What what would we expect from her? just spotted her. her. Dollar Hyde, the big guns. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm loving the current scoreline. Katie Balter, yeah. I'm loving the current scoreline as we're recording this in Dubai. Hubert Herkaj has just beaten Jan Leonard Struff in breaks. three tie breaks. Oh, yeah. what a surprise. Last set tie break. Absolutely, um, completely predictable scoreline there from those two. Um, so perhaps we'll have more of the same from him throughout the week. Nicholas Jarry is also the uh, top seed out in Chile uh, for the Chile Open. Sebastian Baez, second seed. You know, can he get another title? Um on the the golden swing and uh yeah like you said texas as well uh where we've got oh danielle collins in action perhaps she'll go deep in texas uh but that's that's it we'll be back next week a bit later i think than usual to wrap up these events but also to preview indian wells because obviously that is a big big tournament happening uh in the not too distant future yes very very excited the sunshine double is upon us very very soon so we're looking forward to that but we're going to end our tour catch up there a final plug for our tennis weekly survey the link is in the description thank you everyone who has uh, reached out and submitted their answers for the survey literally takes about three minutes you don't have to sign up to anything but would very much uh, help us and help the podcast grow over 2024 so if you have some time please do that but we're going to end it there listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the tennis weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the atp and wta tours we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then do make sure to leave us a rating and a review on apple podcasts or spotify You can also follow us on social media or email the show. And on social media, you can tell us on Instagram whether you think there should be a 1000 as part of the Golden Swing. We'll put that up as well. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and X. And the handle for all of those is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can also purchase our delightful Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or do check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. 
and we will be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.